Welcome to The Deep End by On Deck, a podcast where visionary builders, creators, and thinkers discuss world-changing stories and ideas. I'm your host, Marshall Kozlov. We like to joke, if you've met one autoimmune patient, you have met one autoimmune patient, right? We'll get folks that are same race, age, diagnosis, and what makes them tick, what's leading to inflammations will be totally different. One of them will be on a very specific sleep protocol, helping improve how they sleep because that's what's leading to inflammation. Another one is it's stress that's triggering a lot of these things. So we'll put in a lot of different changes and, and, and tools for them to deal with stress better. A lot of what happens here is these are silent illnesses. You can't tell someone is in a lot of pain just by looking at them, right? You can't tell that someone is not processing how they used to by just looking at them. And so we try and make those connections. Joining us today in the deep end is Wallace Torres. Wallace is the co-founder of Wealth Theory. Wealth Theory is an early stage startup with a powerful mission, combating the autoimmune epidemic through the use of food as medicine, community care, and personalized insights based on health data. During our conversation, we delve into the story behind Wealth Theory and the positive impact startups had on its customers, helping them decrease fatigue, minimize pain interference in their daily lives, and achieve higher overall life satisfaction. We also explore the various models present in the digital health space, take a closer look at Wealth Theory's recent pivot towards partnerships, explore the importance of community in the digital health space, and reflect on the challenges of implementing and sustaining community spaces effectively. Wallace Torres, welcome to The Deep End. Hi, Marshall. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really happy to chat with you. You and I know each other, actually, honestly, through On Deck prior to this. So it's uh, fun to do one of these with someone I actually know separately from just recording something over Zoom with the studio box. But let's just start here for people who don't know you. This is a really broad conversation. We're going to talk about your company, Wealth Theory. We're going to talk about health and longevity. But I think it'd be best if we started with Wealth Theory. Like, what's the company? Like, what's the idea? Why are you building in this space? Yeah. So, Wealth Theory is a nutrition and lifestyle digital tool for autoimmune populations. We've been around for a little over two years, working with patients for a little under two years. I think our two year anniversary is coming up in the next month. This is a really personal story. So I have two co-founders, Ellen Rudolph and Claire Rudolph. Ellen, I met through on deck. She was in the Founders Fellowship Cohort 3. I was in the Founders Fellowship Cohort 5. Uh, and it was through on deck that we became friends. Uh, and the initial nexus of Wealth Theory was Ellen was 25 years old and overnight ended up in the ER. She was bedridden, no one could tell her what was happening. And she did lots and lots and lots of tests. We've actually calculated about $20,000 in medical expenses in, in a short period of time. And everything came back as you're totally fine, everything's okay. It wasn't until she rethought a lot of her life. So what she ate, how she handled stress, how she slept, that she was able to start feeling better. And it turns out that as she's going through this journey, uh, she started TikToking about it because she's a millennial, and that's what millennials, uh, or she's a millennial Gen Zer, uh, and that's what they do. And she started growing her following online. I think she's close to 100,000 followers on TikTok at this point. So she's both the CEO and an influencer on the yeah. side. Uh, and it turns out that her experience was not that dissimilar from a lot of Americans. Um, 
We estimate about 15% of all Americans have autoimmune conditions. And uh, the problem's only growing. There's over 100 different autoimmune conditions, everything from uh, Hashimoto's or IBD to arthritis to psoriasis. These are all under this larger autoimmune bucket. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, I met Ellen. She was thinking through what this was going to be. She had done a program that we licensed uh, that was really focused on diet and, and, and lifestyle. Uh, and in the middle of all this, my wife started having brand new autoimmune symptoms. So when I met Hazel, she had one autoimmune condition and we had a, our first child, our daughter. Uh, and 18 months after that, all of a sudden we went outside when it was a little too cold and her face turned purple. It's called the lupus butterfly effect. And we didn't know what to do. Uh, and she did the thing that she's always done whenever she's had an autoimmune flare-up, which was she changed her diet. She took out gluten, she took out dairy, she added some supplements, and everything went away. Uh, and this is happening at the exact same time that Ellen and I are becoming friends. We're going on these hikes around the Bay Area. And right around that time, we were starting to have that conversation of, do we have our second child? Uh, and with her sister, her sister experienced brand new autoimmune conditions after her second child. So we're having a real is this even a good idea? Do we risk you getting sicker? Uh, while I'm talking to my friend about this autoimmune company. So I was living it every single day. Um, and that's when I, I joined Wealth Theory. Uh, it just made a lot of sense. I saw it in my day-to-day -day life, the impact that these kinds of modification can, can have on people's lives. Yeah, so help us understand how this autoimmune population in the US, like how do they typically self-diagnose or like handle these things? You started talking about this with Hazel changing her diet. Is this kind of like an arbitrary process? Like how do people actually sort through this? That's the right question to ask. Uh, the average autoimmune patient takes about four and a half years to diagnosis. And the diagnosis is obviously only step one in this larger journey of understanding how this condition, this chronic condition is affecting your life. The typical person will have a number of symptoms and What's interesting about autoimmune is that there's a hundred different conditions and they are categorized by body functions almost, right? If you think of IBD, Crohn's, colitis, that's going to be gastric, right? If you think of rheumatoid arthritis, that's going to be in your joints. If you think of psoriasis, that's a skin condition. So you talk to your dermatologist and the average person is just very siloed, right? And so you'll, you know, you have psoriasis, you start seeing rashes, maybe you'll talk to, to your dermatologist. Maybe some of the testing works or it doesn't work. It's useful in diagnosing what you have. Uh, and that's the beginning of the journey. For a lot of people, um, they'll have you know, bloating. They'll have weird things happening in their body. Fatigue, right? Um, it's a lot of these symptoms. We, we like to say that a lot of autoimmune conditions are the perfect encapsulation of what women will often complain about in the healthcare system, gaslighting. Um, you know, I used to be clearer in the head, but now I'm a little foggy. There's no way to quantify. There's no test that's gonna tell you you are 10% foggier than you used to be. You're not kind of thinking exactly how you used to. I'm a little bit more tired, right? This is something that, that Hazel will go through whenever she's having a flare up. It's just 20% harder to get out of bed in the morning, right? There's no test. There's no test that's gonna tell you, you know, your energy levels are slightly down. Um, there's no diagnostic. And so a lot of uh, people spend many, many years just jumping from specialty to specialty, right? Before landing in the right place, 
finding the thing that works for them. So for Wealth Theory, we typically work with members that already have a diagnosis, but we do have about 10% of folks that come through and don't have one yet. The reality is there's a lot you can do before you have that diagnosis, right? The approach that we're using, which is really using nutrition and lifestyle to tackle inflammation at the end of the day, right? If you think of arthritis, it's in your joints, like I said, gastric, you know, it's gonna be in your colon or your stomach that you're gonna have this inflammation. You can do a lot already if you can, you know, for a lot of people take out gluten and, and we try to be very specific. We'll do additional testing. For example, we had a patient who recently did a very specific protocol taking out almonds, raspberries, uh, blueberries, a couple of other very specific things for a period of time and then slowly reintroducing them. And some of them led to symptoms, some of them didn't. Uh, and that's part of what we help you through, thinking through what might be leading to the inflammation in addition to uh, how to reintroduce the foods and figure out what is, what's happening here. Because uh, ultimately these are hard, right? If you think, I don't know if you're, if you're a sports fan, but if you've ever heard of Tom Brady's diet, that's mm -hmm. a lot of what these diets entail, right? It's you're taking out everything that is delicious in the world, right? Taking out bread and cheese. No strawberries. In some of these, <laughs> yeah, strawberries. You know, in some cases it's coffee, lots of different nuts, almonds, walnuts, all these different things. That's, that's a very restrictive diet. And so our goal is to help you figure out specifically what's happening with you so that you can then have a happier life, right? Because, you know, eating makes people happy. Yeah, I know there's a million questions. I guess in no particular order, I'll start with how sustainable do you find these lifestyle changes to be for various patients? So if you're articulating this, I could get rid of almonds just like that. I bet most people would get rid of almonds just like that. Coffee is at the other extreme of what would be very, very difficult. So just talk us through that part. Like A, like how difficult is that for members? And then B, how do you as you know, a founder and you as a company, Wealth Theory obviously, like help people through that? A large part of what we do is meeting people where they're at. Uh, and I think that gets thrown a lot around by digital health companies, but it's something that we truly, truly do and personalize every care plan to the member. Uh, I'll give you an example. If someone comes to the door and they say, I will not give up coffee, our job is to set the right goals around, okay, so not the coffee, but can you take out these other things and let's try those things, right? And get that buy-in. I think a lot of what we do is customizing each plan so that the member is happy, right? And everyone has different goals is, that, is, is what's critical at the end of the day. We have folks that they're coming in and they're operating at say 70% of what they used to be. For them, a really good goal is 85%, right? And it's about figuring out kind of the titration between those two things. There's no, there's no silver bullet. I, I think that's part of the reason why this stuff is hard is, like I said, it's hard to diagnose and there's just nothing, you know, we like to joke, if you've met one autoimmune patient, you have met one autoimmune patient, right? We'll get folks that are same race, age, diagnosis, and what makes them tick, what's leading to inflammations will be totally different. One of them will be in a very specific sleep protocol, helping improve how they sleep because that's what's leading to inflammation. Another one is it's stress that's triggering a lot of these things. So we'll put in a lot of different changes and, and, and tools for them to deal with stress better. In terms of what we're seeing folks do and are, or how well, typically most members can maintain a lot of these things. It's to your point, right? If you are married to coffee, 
we will never succeed with you by telling you to take out coffee because that's going to be a non-starter. And I think it's our job to explain to you, great, we think that the coffee would get you 5%, mm -hmm. but there's all these other things, right? So as long as you're aware and you understand, you know, we'll never get you to 90 because there's a couple of things that you really love. That, that works. Uh, and the other piece that's really critical here, it's about thinking, it's like, what's the alternative? We'll often talk about what's good or best, right? We'll tell you, take out gluten, take out dairy, and we'll have suggestions for you. Hey, this is a really good gluten-free brand. This is an even better gluten-free bread brand. And that helps in getting buy-in from folks, right? It turns out this country has progressed so much in terms of the options that people have that it is no longer terrible to not be gluten-free, right? I mean, we live in Austin. Every restaurant you go has gluten-free alternatives, and they're usually delicious. They're gonna be a little bit pricier, and we figure this out with members as well, right? If you're on a budget, hey, let's figure out the Costco version of this, right? Like, mm -hmm. you can go to Costco, you can get some really good options that are gonna be much better for you. Are they the best option? No, but that's okay, that, that's your goal. Your goal is to be better, not best, and just kind of titrating and changing it over time. And you keep using the term members, like what's the model here? So does one, like so for example, I'm a one medical member, I pay like the yearly fee. And then if I use any services, I pay a fee on top of that. Like what does your model look like? So we're at a really interesting time in the company's evolution. Uh, for the first two years, we have been cash pay strictly, right? You, it's direct to consumer, you show up on our website, you click a link, you pay, you grab an appointment and you sign up, right? Uh, the model is twice a month, live calls and lots and lots of other things in between. There's community elements around it. Think Facebook groups, meet Reddit groups to a degree. Everything from, uh, hey, do you have a recipe because I'm not eating almonds right now and I need another type of flour? Mm -hmm. uh, to emotional support groups. Uh, um, we have these things called uh, community connections, right? And they're typically around a specific diagnosis. We have one around Hashimoto's, around rheumatoid arthritis, right? A lot of what happens here is these are silent illnesses. You can't tell someone is in a lot of pain just by looking at them, right? You can't tell that someone is not processing how they used to by just looking at them. And so we try and make those connections. The reason it's interesting is we're currently moving into the employer and health insurance market. So we've been working and pitching self-insured employers. So, you know, think Target, think Walmart, these very large companies where they are paying for their own healthcare costs, right? Mm -hmm. So they're managing their own book of business, their own healthcare costs. And so we've spent the last six months building those relationships. Um, we have our, we're working on our first contract. We have about four or five that are actively we're negotiating on. And so we're moving towards this being a benefit, right? You work for on deck, you have a suite of benefits that you can do everything from a 401k account to Wealth Theory. Hey, you can sign up for this program. Your insurance is covering for it. Uh, and obviously a big value proposition is that we've seen really good results here. If you look at qualitative results, 84% uh, of folks have seen decrease in fatigue. 54% of folks have seen decrease in how often pain gets in the way of their lives. Over 50% of people have an improved life satisfaction score. And on the flip side, if you look at the costs, right, ultimately everything comes down to cost. Uh, we have seen about $600 per month in cost reduction in our members. Uh, so that's everything from less visits to the doctor, less emergency room visits, ER visits, um, urgent care visits, specialist visits, procedures, 
And so, yeah, so we're, we're in the middle of, of shifting it over and, and being this benefit that folks can sign up for. Uh, not too dissimilar from Amada or Livongo in the diabetes space, really focused on autoimmune. Yeah, something I'm curious about, because we're having this conversation in the context of you all being a digital health company. And when I think of the advantages of any, I feel like this is very 1990s, but any digital company is the idea of scale, right? Like you can scale and you can get bigger, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But earlier in the conversation, you pointed out that there's a different autoimmune situation for every single individual patient, even when you're controlling for race, gender, income, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Therefore, how does scale work under your model from an efficiency perspective? The key stat that I'll throw here is we have increased our scalability or our ability or efficiency really twofold in the last six months. What does it look like? Everyone is different, but what we're finding is 80% of folks, 80, 90% of folks have about 80 to 90% overlap on things. Oh, and so oh, you, you come in, we have, we started moving towards standardized protocols that are then modifi modified by the coach, right? When you come to Wealth Theory, you work with a registered dietitian or nutritionist and a health coach. And so for the majority of folks, they're going to be working on specific areas and it's about the margins. It's, okay, you said this, so we're going to modify this slightly. Uh, that's a lot of where the scale comes in, right? Building those templates, building those care plans and allowing that 15% change from member to member and so the, that 85% change is already a half hour savings, right? Mm -hmm. That additional percent, it's going to be five minutes here, five minutes there. Um, that's part of how we think about scale. The other piece that we think of in, in terms of technology is there's just so much you can do in between sessions, right? When we first started, a lot of what we were doing, it was live. We were on the call modifying things with you. And a lot of what we spent the last two years learning are, okay, Members can't work on 10 different things, right? So how can we standardize or automate the workflow before you get into a call where we try and highlight what's the one thing you want to work on today, right? This is the most important thing. These small wins lead to big wins in the long run. And so focused on, great, our sessions used to be these huge things. We'll discuss 25 different things. Two, we're going to discuss two things. We're going to highlight them before we get into the meeting, and we're going to save time there, right? We're not going to spend the five, first five, ten minutes being asking you, what were your wins? Like, you know, what do you want to focus on today? We already know. We go straight into the session, and we can capitalize on the half hour that we have you on the line. And the last piece is another part that really happened live was the education, right? There's mm -hmm. so much you need to learn when you're going on this journey, right? There's an advanced understanding on food that you're gonna to have to develop over time so that you can learn to fish over time, right? The goal is you're not a wealthier member forever. The goal is we work with you for six months, very targeted, very focused, and then we built enough habits that you can now sustain them over, over time. And so what's that content in between? What can we feed you around? Hey, this week we said we take out gluten. I'm gonna send you a bunch of information for you to do on your own time. It's learning about why gluten leads to inflammation in your body, what are the good alternatives, brands that you can look at, recipes, all these things that don't need to happen on a live call that you build them once and really you're, you know, you can just use them with as many members as, as you need over time. You know, something I'm curious about to your point then about how a member is not going to be a wealthy member forever. 
to what degree is the autoimmune category? And to your point, there's over a hundred different um, types of things you could be addressing here. So not every part is going to be the same. To what degree is this about treatment and management versus curing the thing you're actually experiencing? There is no cure for any of these conditions. So diabetes, type 1 diabetes, is actually a type of autoimmune condition. And I think it's a useful framework to think about mm -hmm. in terms of you're going to deal with this forever and you're going to have ups and downs and flare-ups. And it's about teaching you the tools kits for in the event of a flare-up, you can help yourself. A lot of this is about managing. It, it, that's just the reality of it. Um, one of the value propositions that we have is I'm sure you've heard of Humira, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like the big drug that everyone talks about. There's these really expensive biologics out on the market and they can lead to really nasty side effects. For a lot of people, they don't work as well as they should. And a lot of the value that we drive is in about 24% of folks on high cost biologics, particularly around rheumatic conditions. So MS or lupus. And sorry, what's up, Q? Clarify what a biologic is. Uh, a biologic is a very expensive drug. There's chemical... So if you think of aspirin or um, acetaminophen, those are chemically made. A biologic is made using proteins. If you know how beer is made, which mm -hmm. is you have a yeast culture and et cetera, you grow these drugs, right? Okay. You grow these drugs using okay. cells. So these high-cost biologics, there's a number of them, Humira, Embryl. So they have pretty nasty side effects, and lots of folks are going on them. And, and about 24% of folks that we see that are on these very expensive biologics that are about 50,000 or more per year, uh, we see folks be able to decrease those dosages because we're helping getting to get them in clinical remission, which means that they're getting better, they're feeling less of the symptoms, and they need less of these drugs, right? That's part of the, the big value proposition that we're, we're driving uh, with folks around managing and, and kind of keeping them healthy over time. Let's actually talk about you a little more then, because you've just gave us a great overview of like the industry and the category you're building in. That's one of the best ones that I've heard on this podcast. Uh, I mean, that straight up. But what got you interested in the digital health longevity category in the first place? So I've been in healthcare my whole career. I started at a company called Genentech, which is considered the first, it was the first biopharma, right? The first one growing drugs out of cells. Uh, and their first product a long time ago was insulin. They were the first people to manufacture insulin. And I went from there, I went into um, medical devices after that. And over time, I just realized there was a lot that could be done outside of these drugs, right? These drugs are very expensive. We believe at Well Theory, some people need to be on them, right? We have practitioners that have their diet totally under lockdown. Um, they're really compliant. They're in really good place. And part of that is is having that pharmaceutical agent, right? That having that, okay, this is part of my treatment plan. It's I, you know, I don't eat gluten, I avoid certain foods, I manage my stress, and I also go to my infusion every six weeks or every three weeks or however often you need to go. But not everyone needs it, right? And we do have a, a cost problem in the United States around healthcare, uh, and we're always looking for silver bullets. Ultimately, having that, going through that experience with, with my wife, Hazel, and seeing that there, there was no drug for her. Like, that's the reality. She, she didn't have a drug that she could turn to, so that was off the table, even if you take out the cost piece. So what else can she do? And nutrition and lifestyle have just been totally underserved historically in this country, right? If you think of nutrition as a benefit and, and a health plan, 
almost no health plans cover nutrition, right? They'll cover it very specifically around obesity or they'll cover it very specifically around diabetes. But if you and I, hey, we just wanna get healthier, we wanna eat better, and I would love to talk to a dietitian, we can't, right? Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. We'd have to pay out of pocket. And there's just so much that you can do nowadays in terms of building a company that's remote, that can meet members where they're at. Um, and, and I think lastly, COVID, COVID changed the game, right? I think there's been a lot of stories about these companies that blew up because of the telemedicine boom, and now they're not doing super well. But the reality is that it's just so much easier to do these appointments online. It's so much, particularly for something like we're doing, right? You don't need to go into an office to talk to us, right? That would be a waste of your time. It would be a waste of our time. It would be a waste of resources. Again, there's so much to be, to be done to improve access. Uh, something that I, I, we haven't talked about is this is you know, affecting 15% of folks, 80% of which are women, and it disproportionately impacts communities of color, right? Lupus, for example, black and Hispanic women are three times more likely to be diagnosed with lupus than non-Hispanic white women. There is an access issue here. Uh, and that's always been the long-term vision of wealth theory as well, which is how do you make this access available? How do you make this kind of care available to lots and lots of folks? Our cash pay offering costs $125 a month. It's not cheap, right? And so that, that's, it's like a mix of all these things put together for me of the time is right, COVID kind of changed the game around this. We need to improve accessibility and we're not gonna improve accessibility by forcing a lot of these solutions into an office. And there's just a lot that can be done still. And I guess that's interesting because my next question was going to be, to what degree is there an opportunity for in-person, in limited context, right? So I'm not describing a, you know, wealth theory office on every single corner of every single exurban block, but, you know, maybe there's a board where there's a center in like Williamsburg where you're doing something downtown, downtown San Francisco. I think there's space there. You know, how do you think about uh, that part? So that's actually a conversation we've always had, right? Uh, we have to date not had clinicians uh, very purposely, right? We find that our average member is already working with three, at least three clinicians as part of their larger care. Can you explain what a clinician is then? Yeah, so they're working with a doctor or they're working with a mental health professional or a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant. So clinical, right? Um, Registered dietitians are not considered clinical, even though they're clinically trained, right? Mm -hmm. Our registered dietitians were trained at a hospital. One of them was doing cancer care, for example, before she came to Wealth Theory. And so we've been non-clinician-led to date just because there's so much that it can be done in the in-between, right? You see your doctor, your doctor talks to you for five minutes. They go, great, you should change your diet. Like, you need to go take out all these foods and figure this out. They're not going to support you through it, right? The, the, Financial model doesn't incentivize physician offices to take care of this. And this is a conversation we've had over time, which is it will hit a limit. The virtual does hit a limit, right? If you need to go get a colonoscopy, mm -hmm. right? Do you need to go to the hospital? You need to go see a doctor. And as we grow wealth theory and as we think about what's next, that's a conversation we're having around when is the right time to move into a model that's more clinical center of excellence, right? A virtual clinical center of excellence, which means we have clinicians on staff, we work with you around prescriptions, around escalations, and we do as much as we can. And once we hit our wall, how do we escalate that care, right? Who's the right person to then go, great, 
I'm a doctor, I'm gonna call this other doctor in your area, and you're gonna go talk to them because they need to do some sort of physical check-in, et cetera. It's just so siloed right now. Uh, and our members are dealing with very complex conditions where no one's talking to each other, you're seeing different specialists, there's no thread across all of them. And our, our goal needs to be to fill in that space more and more and more and be that connective tissue. I'm really curious to your point about how no one's talking about this for you to get into the community aspect, because if we're going to go over this two year period, a bunch of companies like obviously on deck is in this category of really highlighted community is something that's important. But I think something that everyone learned is that community is literally one of the, it's one of the easiest things in the world to articulate as being important. It's one of the hardest things to actually implement. So like, it's easy to say, Hey, like we're going to have like Facebook groups, but like, how has that worked out? And you know, I'm imagining like there's that first week. Everyone's super excited. They're trading. The vibes are there. But then like two or three weeks later, maybe people aren't posting as much. Like, How, how do you think about that aspect in your category? The biggest thing that we have implemented is that if you think of Reddit and you have the super engaged moderators, that's our staff. Oh, cool. Those are the folks that are, 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 are the super users almost. Uh, you do get a number of super users within the community. But yeah, a lot of it is we drive a lot of the community aspect of it, right? Our nutritionists go in there, we talk about things, we share recipes, we share posts. Um, uh, the other piece is community can mean lots and lots of different things. And I think this is something that On Deck did well, which was there's the Slack community piece, but there's also groups. Like I did a small group for, with, with other founders where we would talk every, I think it was every month or every two weeks. And it's a mix of these things, right? It's how do you get folks that are going to want more of the group session, small group session in a place? How do you get folks that are okay posting? And also just acknowledging and accepting that a fair number of folks are going are, are gonna to be lurkers, right? Okay. They're there to just read and find information. And it doesn't mean that they're not driving value. We get it all the time from people that never post. Oh, this community is super valuable. I love perusing it. I love, you know, take looking at it. And so, yeah, a lot of it is is it's manufactured is a strong word, but a lot of it is us kind of moving the conversation forward. And members will just naturally jump in and meet each other. And it's funny because you we hear of folks that met through wealth theory that stay in touch after, right? You know, they graduate into you know. They get better, they graduate uh, out of wealth theory. And sometimes they'll come back because they'll have a flare up. They're like, hey, we, I want to work with you for three more months, kind of just get a couple of things under order and I'll move on. And then we'll hear, oh yeah, I still talk to that person that I met on your community. We started you know, exchanging messages. We started talking. Turns out she has you know, grandkids as well, like I do, and that she's dealt with this condition as long as I have. It's a lot of work and you're constantly nurturing it. But yeah, it, it is very rewarding for the folks that reaches. You know, I'm curious, we spend a lot of time with founders on this podcast talking through the idea maze. How did you get different places? So we could wrap a bunch of different concepts into one with this question, because uh, on the one hand, you and, you know, Ellen had the autoimmune impact in your personal life, you know, through your, your wife, Hazel, at the same time, you're going through the on-deck program. So you obviously were looking to find your next thing. Um, and then in the case of the actual autoimmune disorders, there's hundreds of them. So there are a bunch of different directions you could go. Just kind of like walk us through, before you even started on deck, how you sort of iterated down to what you eventually turned out with. I got this question a lot when I was in on deck. 
So I quit my job because I decided that I wanted to start a company. Before or during um, COVID? It was shortly after COVID. Sienna, my daughter, was seven months old, and I had a crisis of faith of my, myself. I'd always wanted to start something, and I never had the courage. And this is a true story. One day I was just playing with her on the ground, and I remember looking at her and thinking, I hope that my daughter, you know, is all she can be and like takes risks. And then I thought about myself and I thought, but she's gonna ask, why didn't you? And I would say, well, I had you. <laughs> I couldn't take risks anymore. Uh, and I had a real crisis of faith where I was, I remember going to the kitchen and ha uh, Hazel was there and me saying, I need to quit my job. Like I need to do this. And that's a very long story of my wife telling me to, you know, poop or get off the pot. <laughs> so I worked on a number of different healthcare ideas before I met Ellen. They were all in healthcare. One was a medical device company. One was uh, in Medicaid, kind of the Medicaid space doing care navigation. And ideation is you just like wake up every day and that's all you think about is you deep dive different areas. You try and find experts, do a lot of cold outreach to lots and lots and lots of folks that know a lot more than you so that you can learn more about a given space. With wealth theory, I know that the... Ellen's original idea, Ellen and Claire's original idea was, is there a place for people to book time with functional medicine doctors? Like that's what, that's where this started. And as Ellen started incorporating more of these principles in our life, that kind of became the focus of the idea. When I joined, we actually were running three different programs, which was like three different kinds of coaching. One was totally text-based. One was group-based, community-based only, so no live calls and then only live calls. I think the idea maze is it's a lot of dead ends. It's a lot of just being really, really focused on the idea of starting something. Uh, I'm not sure this is useful to folks, but I, I, I went all in. That was, that was my, my key unlock in all this was I had to succeed because I had no more income coming in. There was a desperation that set in <laughs> where you just have to figure it out because your family's making sacrifices, you're making sacrifices, the savings are drying up. And yeah, you just kind of keep going at it. And, and honestly, a lot of navigating, a lot of what it takes to, to navigate the idea maze is what is going to make you successful and actually get a company off the ground. It's a lot of sales. It's a lot of cold calling. It's a lot of getting people who, whose time is very valuable to give it to you for free um, so that you can learn a key piece of information and go from there. So yeah, and I mean, and it's been two years and what we do at Wealthier has changed so many times already. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't, I think people think of the idea maze and well, it'll, you know, I'll have this idea and it's this beautiful idea, but what the pre-seed was raised on and what we raised the seed and then the story we're gonna say for the series A, those are different stories because our understanding of the space changes. Um, in the last six months alone, we feel like, Ellen and I joke about this, we feel like we've gone to healthcare grad school, right? We spend so much time with employers, with insurance companies. We did the United Healthcare Accelerator and that was just a brain dump of this is everything you need to know and more, and there's still stuff you don't know. It doesn't end. The idea maze doesn't end just because you've raised money or because you've started working on something. Yeah, it's ongoing. So that's actually the perfect pivot to the last section. Obviously, most founders listening to this are gonna be in the digital health, 
category broadly. They're not just, you know, focused on the autoimmune category. I'd love for you to give as much of a summary as possible, as little or as much information as you want to coherently offer about healthcare grad school. Like, like what's what's the gap between like the conventional wisdom that anyone interested in the space can actually have and that kind of like next level experience you've been through over the past two years? I've gotten in trouble with uh, uh, saying this before, but I think that the incentive structure is very different in healthcare than it is in almost any other industry. And by that, I mean, if you think of a patient and you think of us as a solution, our customer is the patient, but not really, because typically the patient isn't paying, right? I think in healthcare, if you want to reach scale, if you want to reach impact, at some point you need to transition away from cash pay into insurance, some sort of insurance, whether it's United or Cigna or Aetna, these large insurance companies paying for your service, or it's an employer paying for the service, that's the pivot that needs to happen. And I think something I did not, I think I underestimated this throughout the beginning of, of our journey was the most important thing is figuring out how to drive value, how to reduce cost, how to pay for this thing for the, for the person who's paying. And it's critical, obviously, for your engagement, for folks showing up, for folks signing up, that you have a really good experience for those people. But that you're, you, you have two different customers and they want different things and you need to do all of the above. That was probably the biggest lesson learned for us coming from a strictly cash pay product and as we move into this into this new space. Yeah, and it's always it's it's always unclear what is gonna drive the unlock, what is gonna lead someone to have that conversation for you. I think something we heard a lot when we were at United was, you know, we'd look around and there's these solutions that were really focused on seniors, for example or some of these more uh, healthcare fintech plays that there's a number of nowadays. Um, and then there was us, kind of focused on this functional, holistic medicine piece of improving healthcare through the use of non-clinicians. And we'd ask, like, why did you guys select us? Like, we're a little different than these other companies. And what drew them to us was engagement. They said, you guys have super high engagement. Alan's an influencer. You have, you know, I think she's up to 20 million total views on our videos on TikTok. <laughs> we can't drive half a percent of engagement on any of our solutions, right? There, for us, it was learning about, okay, great. So we have this very unique thing, which is we know how to engage people. People stick around a really long time, right? I think um, our one-year member retention rate is 63%. So after a year, people are paying months. This is a month-to-month -month membership, right? Mm. After one year, 63% of people are still around. Um, about 75% of folks are still around after six months. This is unheard of in healthcare, right? Um, these models are just not not what's available. They have a hard time engaging, you know, half a percent. And so then it becomes, a, we have the secret sauce. How do we then figure out a way where everyone wins, right? So that we have the patient piece down. How do we incentivize folks? And it's about rethinking how you get paid, rethinking how you take on risk, having really high guarantees on your contracts around, you're gonna pay us this much and we guarantee you twice as much in savings or your money back, right? Mm -hmm. This is a really hard piece 
And it took us, I mean, this was months and months of figuring out the perfect pricing and packaging and what was going to get people to that first yes. So for the closing question, we've kind of danced around it a bit, but On Deck played like a very literally important role in uh, connecting uh, you and Ellen together. We don't have to do that awkward kind of like, oh, well, you know, you were in an On Deck Slack group when like you met this person through Twitter, so it wasn't quite, but, but in this case, like this actually actively happened. You were in different courts, you connected. Just tell, tell like that side of like your On Deck story um, and like what you really like got from that beyond the fact that we're having this conversation. Before I joined Wall Theory and we decided to build Wall Theory together, um, I, you know, quit my job and I had given myself a year. I said, this is my year of yes. So I said yes to everything. And I was Sorry, one I'm of these. Sorry, I'm just laughing at, the, the, the thing is too, uh, I, do, I do need to add this editorial. When you were earlier telling the story about how like you were, you know, with your baby and you like had this like epic conversation with yourself, the advantage of actually knowing you is that I know listeners and everything you're like, okay, like these are all just narratives, but I know for a fact you did actively tell yourself, this is the year of yes, and I'm going to take risks. So just go on. I just really, I appreciate no, that about no. you. No, it, no, it's <laughs> funny. Uh, you can take this out, but we always joke because- most founders, like the stories are all made up, right? Like, but it is real. Like we have in our deck, we have the pictures of Ellen in the emergency room, for example. Yeah. I have the pictures of my phone of Hazel's face turning purple. It was in March of 2021. And I had just gone on a hike with Ellen. Like these things are real. These are real things that happened. Um, Sorry. So I gave myself a, a year to just say yes. And so I was one of these power users on, on deck. You can ask the on deck team. I did everything. I hosted a pre-seed funding meetup every week. I was everywhere. I was answering questions. I was doing this. I was reviewing decks for people. In between all this, I said, you know what? There's not, when I first joined, it was, it was core five. There were like eight people on the on deck team. There weren't that many healthcare founders. And so I just went through the directory and I said, I'm going to talk to every single healthcare founder here. And so I sent out messages and I talked to half of them. And with Ellen, we joke about this, where Ellen said yes to meeting with me because I sent her multiple messages being like, hey, like checking back in, we'd love to connect. And she remembers thinking, my God, this guy is so annoying and needy. And then she got on a call with, with, with me and you know me, Marshall. And she goes, this is my idea. And then I spent 30 minutes telling her it was a dumb idea and all the deficiencies that were missing in it. And that's Ellen's love language, is people being critical and honest with her. And that's how our friendship started. She, she'll admit, I was so taken aback because when you go, what you learn is a lot of people don't want to say it to your face because you never know if you'll be successful and they don't want to be the person that you think back and are like, oh, I hate this person. Like, so they want to make sure that they leave things positively. And I, that's not my perspective on life, right? Like, I'm going to have opinions and I'm just going to tell you my opinions. And so that's how we became friends. She disappeared. We met up again after Christmas and we started going on these hikes. We were, we lived 20 minutes from each other in the Bay Area. And we go on these hikes and we talk and she started sending me different ideas around the, the, the company and I started reviewing product offerings and I, I just kept being honest. She'd send me these things and there were 15, 15 requirements that they were trying to hit on the first iteration of the product. And I would send back feedback and I say, I'm, what are the three most important things? That's all I care about. Like you're wasting your time with everything else. 
yeah, it, it just slowly developed and I hit the one year mark. Uh, and at that point we had kind of burned through our savings and over, it was actually over 4th of July weekend, exactly two years ago. I think it's exactly two years ago in a couple days. I decided I was going to stop working on the other stuff I was doing. And I was going to reach out to Alan, who had kind of months back been or alluded to, hey, do you want to join me? Like, do you want to partner on this? And I had said, no. I said, you cannot, you have raised money. Like, I need, I don't have money. Like, it's too enticing. And I, we decided that weekend that I would join Wealth Theory, that we were going to leave the Bay Area because we had kind of burned through our savings. Um, and that we were going to have another kid. And so on Tuesday, I talked to Ellen and I accepted the offer. And on Wednesday, we found out that Hazel was pregnant already. So it was just kind of the serendipitous everything came together moment. I, I really appreciate how you combine both that willingness to be critical with also just like the engagement. Because usually you get one or the other. Like usually someone's just sort of like, kind of annoying in the slack and then it just doesn't really lead anywhere. But like you're both persistent, uh, which is a euphemism for being annoying, but you're also like offering critical and valuable feedback. So I think that's a great takeaway in general for anyone who's participating in any group. But Wallace, this has been, this has been super fun. This has been really interesting. Where should folks go beyond just Alan's TikTok to learn more about Wealth Theory, what y'all are up to? So you can go on our website, wealththeory.com. You know, we're as we're moving into B2B, we're still running the cash pay offering, so anyone can join. We've worked with over 50 different conditions to date. Um, again, everything from psoriasis to different kinds of arthritis to you know, Crohn's, colitis, Hashimoto's, Graves. You can find us there. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Uh, and for you know, on-deck folks, I'm on the on-deck Slack still, so you can still ping me. I'm very slow to respond nowadays, but, uh, but yeah, I'm still there. Thanks again for joining us in the DM. Thanks for joining us in the deep end. If you enjoyed your stay, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your friends and colleagues to help grow the show with us. We've also got show notes and more episodes available at ideas.beyonddeck.com. See you next time.